Jonathan Wakefield is a brewmaster and founder of Miami's renowned Jay Wakefield Brewing. Now he's opening up his internationally acclaimed tap room at Sirius XM Business Radio for an intimate look at the intersection of craft beer and popular culture. So pull up a chair, have a round on us, and join the conversation on the business of brewing. This is the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield on Sirius XM Business Radio. Hi, I'm Jonathan Wakefield, and this is the Beer Hour on Sirius XM Business Radio 132. I'm here in the tap room with our co-host, Maria Cabre. Hi, Maria. What's up, John? So it's December 1st. Have you uh, finished your Christmas shopping yet? No. Of course not. You're last second. I'm not last second. That's me. I'm not last second. Christmas Eve, I'll be in the mall, right? But I'm also not this person that starts in August to hoard gifts. That's crazy. (laughs) Well, hey, to each their own, right? I guess. To each their own. I I mean, because you'll have the people that shop all the way and wait till Christmas Eve or the people that start knocking it out in like July. (laughs) So who's our first guest this week? Our first guest co-founded Hardywood Park Craft Brewery in Richmond, Virginia in 2011. Two Pines of Homebrew on a sheep ranch in Australia with buddy Patrick Murdaugh inspired a craft beer journey that has netted legions of fans worldwide recognition and numerous awards. He's here today to talk about his brewery's iconic Christmas beers, Christmas Morning, and Kentucky Christmas Morning, which has made Men's Journal's list of best Christmas beers for 2023. Welcome to the Beer Hour, Eric McKay. It's a pleasure to have you on today. Thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure, yeah. Thanks for having me. So, Hardywood Park, which the brewery's named after, is actually not in Virginia. Where is it, and what happened there that inspired Patrick and you to ultimately name the brewery after that? So, 2001... Fall of 2001, I did study abroad in Australia and spent my orientation at a farm, which was then called Hardywood Park. And to me, it was, you know, growing up, I always had these dreams of what Australia would be like. And it was like immediately I was thrust into this world of, you know, family that wonderful family, great food, and had a baby kangaroo that they were raising because it, its mother had been hit by a car. And um, so, you know, days on, on the farm, Hardywood Park would start with feeding Sammy the baby kangaroo and lead to driving a four-wheeler to herd thousands of sheep and, you know, doing things that I had never done before like that and uh, birthing, you know, lambs that were, you know, when the, their mothers were struggling to, to, to give birth, you know, we'd kind of try to hold the lambs. The, the sheep still and, right. and help bird the sheep. And the end of the day was always celebrated with David Crawford's homebrew. And <laughs> it was unlike the watered down light lager that was all that was available in North Carolina. It was this amber ale that had all these amazing fruity esters and it just had so much character. And I was blown away that you could make beer on such a small scale. So later that semester, Patrick came to Australia with a friend invited them out to this farm. He shared the same epiphany, was kind of, you know, enthralled by the idea of making beer on small batches. And, and you know, one thing led to another. And uh, today we're now running Hardywood Park. And the name, uh, the sheep farm was sold um, some years before we started. And I, I still, you know, keep in touch with the Crawfords and we um, exchange Christmas gifts across the, the pond. And, um they were delighted when they when we asked if, if we could bring the name back um, as the name of our brewery and kind of the source of our inspiration behind getting into careers in beer. That's and awesome, man. T- tickled by that. And uh, we actually got a visit from David um, about four or five years ago. It was his first David Crawford, the, the uh, owner, former owner of, uh, of the farm. And um, he, he re- really had a great time visiting in America and seeing kind of this early uh, craft beer culture in Richmond. Nice, nice. How long do you think it was after those first pints of Rancher David Crawford's homebrew did you guys start to formulate the idea of opening a brewery? Patrick and I were always kind of dreamers, so it probably was before we finished that pint. Um, but, uh, you know, when, when it started to become a real consideration, it wasn't until after 
you know, I, I went back to college, my last year of college, apprenticed at Carolina Beer Company, which was the closest brewery to Charlotte. It was in Mooresville, about, you know, 30 miles north of Charlotte. And, you know, again, there were really, other than a one brew pub, there were no production breweries in the Charlotte area. And um, that gave me some firsthand experience. It was a nice wake up to the kind of uh, harsh realities, maybe, of, um, you know, that of what commercial brewing is all about and you know that that it's not as as sexy and glamorous i think as a lot of people maybe think um but i loved it i loved every aspect of it the creation the cleaning the smells and the things that you could do with barley and hops and and how yeast could play a role in creating interesting beers um it was always something that really sparked my enthusiasm and still does to this day nice nice so i mean obviously you went and took took that internship was there anything else that you guys did after coming back from australia to learn more about the process of of beer and brewing we did yeah so um after graduating davidson i actually had gotten a job with a hedge fund um up in new york and that was what led me to um to relocate to the city it was actually just outside the city but um was doing that for about six months and all the while homebrewing beer just kind of having this feeling like I really was interested in this industry and making a career out of it. And if it was ever going to happen, I should try to do it soon. And that led to just looking for job openings in the industry and Union Beer Distributors, which is the Sheehan Family Company's New York City-based operation, had just um, made a big investment in craft beer. They bought... um, a distributorship from Brooklyn Brewery, which included uh, Sierra Nevada, was actually our biggest brand. And it had a, an incredible, you know, looking back, it was like the ultimate portfolio of beers. When I started there, it included you know, everything from Cezanne Dupont to oh, wow. um, Young's and Samuel Smith from England, Hitachino from Japan, um, several of the Lambic beers, Bone, um, the virtually all the Trappist beers that were imported to the U.S. were, were distributed by us, Chimay, Orval, West Mall. Um, and, um, and then on the American craft brewing side, Allagash was, you know, a, a fledgling. I think they were brewing three or 4,000 barrels a year when Rob Todd would come down and, and work, you know, <laughs> alongside me. We'd go out and visit accounts and, you know, finish the day with a tap takeover at the Blind Tiger and, um, and Sierra Nevada, you know, uh, Steve Dressler would, would come and, and visit and Georg Schneider, the sixth would come, you know, when, when these brewers, Mr. Cucci from Hitachino, when right. they come to the U S they'd come to New York and of course we'd have the opportunity to like, you know, go ride the market with Georg Schneider, the sixth and his son, who was like, you know, the next generation right. who's like 12 at the time. Um, and introduce him to all these, you know, restaurateurs. And, and it was also a time when, when restaurateurs like Danny Meyer and Tom Colicchio were starting to really embrace craft beer. And that really helped to elevate the, the you know, perception of, of craft beer's role as a food pairing option. Right. And in terms of breweries expanding to the East Coast, we were the first East Coast distributor for Lagunitas. And, when Oscar Blues came to the East Coast yep. with Dale Pale Ale and Old Chubb, we were their their distributor. And so, you know, playing a role in this like, you know, pandemonium and uh, a lot of these other movements that were kind of building, you know, the first Goza style of beer in the U.S. was one that uh, Be United imported and from Leipziger, Germany and it was this bizarre style that nobody was had you know, <laughs> yeah. really been familiar with in this country and sold in this large genie bottle with, you know, ceramic flip top. And it was one of these things like who's, who's actually going to fall in love with a, you know, a low alcohol, salty sour. Ale. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and now you see Sierra Nevada with, you know, national release of a, a, a Goza. That's and, awesome. Uh, so it's cool seeing how, you know, a lot of those experiences and, and some of the exciting things that were happening then have kind of materialized into some of these real movements. Whole Foods was another one that they, right. yep. their first store in New York, they built a, a wine, a huge 3,000, 3,500 square foot wine 
you know, shop in Union Square and it wasn't legal for a grocery store to have a wine shop. Oh, damn. So we kind of re, you know, I was part of the team that helped them kind of rethink like what they could do. And um, we brought in a growler station. It was the first growler station that I'm aware of at a grocery store. Wow. And they, it became huge and they had people riding their bikes, you know, from all over the region to come to Union Square to get a growler at, uh, at Whole Foods. And, wow. Uh, so it's neat to see how some of those early kind of kind of concepts and um, all started to really lead to this big wave of uh, enthusiasm that's kind of built through today. Wow, that's amazing. That Whole Foods is bananas. Yeah, yeah. It I, is, yeah. I, yep. lived, uh, I lived in New York for a year and I worked actually for uh, Danny Meyer. Oh, very cool. At Which the, restaurant were you? At the Modern. Okay, very yeah. cool. Yeah. So actually, Pat Patrick um, had several of his accounts and, and knew Danny Meyer. I think uh, maybe it was Tom Colicchio's, either Danny Meyer or Tom Colicchio had a, a spouse who was involved in a charity event at Mandarin Oriental that I got to participate in a couple of times where we were the only beer. Um, it was mostly a wine-oriented event. Right. And we got to be the, the beer um, servers and we'd serve Young's Double Chocolate Stout and Lindemann's Frambois and some interesting beers that got people really excited and um Schlenkerla, uh smoke beer yep. uh, but danny meyer i think has been a source of inspiration for us in terms of the approach that he's taken to um trying to not only create great customer experiences but to innovate on um how to make the experience really as positive as it can be for team members as well and um so he's he's someone that we certainly admire and and, and credit for bringing a lot of attention toward craft beer and beer food, beer and food. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So do you mind telling us, uh, I mean, you guys have two locations. So do you mind tell us, telling us about both those locations? Sure. So our original location was on, um, when we came to, to Richmond, I came down with the team from the Sheehan Family Company as I was our marketing director at the time. Uh, we had just acquired a company called Specialty Beverage and initially we had planned on our original business plan was to build our brewery in Charlotte. And we really were focused on trying to gain a first mover advantage again, you know, where laws were becoming more favorable for craft beer. We saw an opportunity to try to bring something innovative and unique. And around that time, Noda brewing opened in Charlotte, old Mecklenburg opened and, and, you know, they kind of, you know, got ahead of what, um, you know, do, doing a lot of the things that we had hoped to do. And Richmond hadn't quite had that yet. Um, honestly, in Richmond, there was one brewery that went, that closed Richbrow in um, February 2011, right around the time that we had gotten close to finishing our capital raise. And we were going to banks to try to get the rest of the way there. And they were all saying that, the writings on the wall guys, Richmond can only support one brewery. There's legend uh, and the right. only other brewery in Richmond closed in February. So right. it's not looking good. And we, were, we we felt like, no, let's look, you know, we'll show you examples of everywhere else in the country and read our business plan. And, you know, this, this can really work. The city has all the cultural um, kind of, you know, high number of independent restaurants per capita and uh, very adventurous, enthusiastic uh, outdoor um, kind of, um, ambiance with the whitewater rapids going, you know, through the city and single track bike trails. And, um, you know, the, the signs are there that Richmond is ripe and ready for a really innovative craft brewer. And so our original location, you know, we kind of cobbled together what was at the time a shoestring budget for a distributing craft brewery. It wasn't yet legal to sell uh, on premise. Tap rooms were, right. were still illegal. And, uh, and so we were relying entirely on uh, distribution. And then um, we chose a facility that had the right ceiling height, that had, you know, functioning HVAC and, and bathrooms, where we didn't have to spend a lot of money on, on making those modifications and instead put all our money in the equipment and, you know, did our best to, to build it out. Some of the things, you know, we had raised $1.2 million. The equipment cost half of that. We expected to burn through about, you know, uh, close to a million dollars of operating expense in the first year. Right. And the budget to retrofit the facility ended up being about a million and a half dollars. So 
we kind of just had to slash wherever we could. Right. And um, Patrick and I did a lot of the, you know, epoxy floor installation on a flat floor. And, um, you know, we, we made it work, but it, it was it was tough. Um, and it was in a neighborhood that was probably best described as like rough industrial outskirts of the city. And um, and that has, you know, I think certainly craft brewing and food and beverage culture has played a, a big role. Um, there are plenty of other forces at play also, but that neighborhood has totally transformed. It's kind of on the edge of uh, Scott's Edition, Greater Scott's Edition, which is now a, a food and beverage hub where there were no, there was no real activity in that area previously. Um, we just did start of the pandemic. We did a sale lease back of that original location um, to, to add a pizza kitchen and, and really to kind of help support us through um, those, those difficult months of early pandemic. The group that bought the property has built like 500 new apartments oh, all wow. around us. And wow. so it's, okay. it's become kind of a, a pretty hip, neighborhood and uh it totally transformed it from what we we thought it was a means to an end to get started and that we would relocate once we had the ability to um to build out kind of our longer term model you know vision for a a future production brewery nice um so that's um you know still where we do a lot of r&d brewing it's our original 20 barrel nsi brew house and um we're it's great to be able to use it about once a week and um, use it more as a, a dedicated playground, I guess, to, to let our brewers test their creative uh, muscles. And nice. And then where where I am is in West Creek, which is on the west end of Richmond. Um, it's in um, a business park that is also kind of surrounded by rapid development. Um, it's so far been a great location for visitors it's right off the highway so for people traveling oh, through okay. um, quick and easy for them to get here we've got it's on about 24 acres of land so oh, there's wow. plenty of space for <laughs> for festivals and yep. for you know all kinds of uh you know outdoor activities we've got behind me kind of a natural amphitheater hill oh that's awesome um, overlooking the creek which uh creates a nice backdrop for you know live music and all kinds of different events that are a big part of bringing people together and we think enjoying the beer in a unique environment. But primarily we, we you know, chose this property because land value was decent when we, when we purchased it, we've got great utilities with redundant electricity sources here. We're on the same grid as power grid as the federal reserve. So, oh, yeah. and a, a hospital. So we're generally, you know, have very high uptime on electricity. We've got fiber optic gas, city water and city um, municipal water and municipal um, sewer. Um, So all the kind of heavy industrial needs while also feeling like a bit of an escape where people, you know, can get right. You're in an Uber from downtown, but they also, you know, it feels like you're at a winery in Charlottesville an hour away. Nice. Um, so we've got a 60-barrel Browcon brew house here. Oof. There's kind of okay. brew house of our dreams. And Heck yeah. Um, we've been, you know, I think like many craft breweries, kind of on this rapid growth trajectory. And I think we're still going to be in a, a period of headwinds for a while. But, um, you know, we're still eking out growth year over year and um, looking to continue to, you know, grow as a, a prominent distributing craft brewery in Virginia for okay years to come nice very nice so let's dive into christmas morning and kentucky christmas morning can you describe both of these beers for us for sure so christmas morning is an imperial milk stout it's brewed with we do use um part of our virginia root series which focuses on local ingredients our credo is brew with purpose and aside from renewable energy to, to brew we also source a lot of ingredients from local farms. And in this case, we're sourcing ginger and wildflower honey. Ooh, okay. uh, the ginger is a, a baby Hawaiian white ginger, which comes from a farm in Powhatan, um, an adjacent county, um, and uh, from a very passionate farmer who had been for years trying to perfect his um, Hawaiian you know, baby white ginger. The baby ginger it has kind of a translucent skin on it, unlike ginger, yellow ginger is what you typically find at a store, which has a husk on it. And it's, um, you can squeeze the juice out of it, um, but it doesn't 
you know, it doesn't blend nearly as easily. It's much more fibrous where the baby white ginger, um, we can kind of puree and, and get this very creamy, delicate, pleasant ginger character that we think, you know, helps set the beer apart. We didn't choose that. It was just the ginger that he had, but we really liked the character. And oh. so we continue sourcing it from the same farmer and a few other Virginia farmers that he's connected us with over the years. Um, and, um, and then the wildflower honey comes from Louisa County, um, from, um, a, uh, farm. It's actually a, a maple, Japanese maple farm that, that has, uh, bees on site. Mm. And, um, we get, uh, some really tasty wildflower honey from them. We loved the passion that these purveyors had in their craft and, um, wanted to incorporate those ingredients to kind of showcase the terroir of, of our region. Um, and Christmas morning takes our gingerbread stout, which is the beer we've become best known for uh, nationally um, with World Beer Cup Award and uh, 100 rating in, in Beer Advocate magazine. It's what, it's what uh, I know you guys for. I mean, back in the it's day, what, it's what I knew you guys for was gingerbread stout. I mean, that's that's how would, what you can't, you know, that's how I found out about you guys. Back when I was trading beer was like you guys had to have this gingerbread stout from from Hardywood. So it was like chase, you know, chase, chase, chase this down. And it was it was a great beer. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Yeah, we, we've been tickled by kind of how it has, you know, certainly how it, you know, exploded into notoriety out of the gates. But certainly seeing how it's evolved since then, it's been uh, a really special part of what we do. And we, you know, the, the recipe and approach to it are sacred to us. So we've been, this is, is now the 13th year that we're releasing the original gingerbread stout. Uh, a couple of years in, we started exploring new ways to kind of build upon the base recipe. And using locally sourced coffee, we were able to kind of add this, you know, really delicious new character to it. And this is one that's actually changed a little bit year over year. Um, we've, we've used a couple of different coffees from a couple of different local roasters. Um, this year, we are using uh, the Richmond blend of coffee from Blanchard's Coffee. Nice. Um, Blanchard's is probably the oldest kind of craft roaster in um, the Richmond area. Um, it's a combination of Guatemala uh, beans and uh, let me confirm this. I think it is... Um, Guatemalan and Colombian uh, nice. beans, okay. and the the coffee itself by itself has a lot of dark chocolate, some caramel notes, um, and those just lend really well to kind of rounding out the beer and enhancing the beer, in my view, to give it uh, just this added bit of, of complexity that makes it unique, interesting, and even more Richmond, I guess. Um, and then Kentucky Christmas morning. Oh. Um, obvious, is, obvious uh, statement, uh, right? You barrel age it. <laughs> <laughs> Not too much of a departure. No, it's, no. You know, on, on Kentucky bourbon barrels, um, we, we source barrels from uh, Weller, Stitzel Weller, Four Roses, uh, and Buffalo Trace Ooh, for, okay. um, for this beer. And uh, it's been one that, you know, for, for a period, it was the number one rated milk stout in the world on Beer Advocate nice. and still among, you know, the top 10 or 15 um, I think 12 of them or so are all treehouse beers, but, um, Hardywood, uh, uh. you know, still, still hangs in, uh, in the milk stout ratings, which we're really proud of. You know, we, we, we set out from the beginning to be a distributing craft brewer. Right. We, we learned through getting Senate bill 604 passed that legalized tap rooms, that the tap room is not only a, a critical source of of revenue for the brewery but it's a great way to showcase your beers and build yes, new yeah, fans absolutely so how, how long have you actually been brewing christmas morning and how much of christmas morning and kentucky christmas morning are you going to brew this year or have you brewed so i'd have to conf i'd have to look back at the calendar but i believe it was 2013 that we first released christmas morning and 2014 or 2015 that we released Kentucky, Kentucky. Christmas morning okay. for the first time. Um, you know, back then it was all hand filled 750 mil pork and cage <laughs> right, bottle. Right. Right. And, you know, and uh, you know, I love, I love that format. That was one that for us, those, you know, Trappist beers, and, oh, yeah. you know, Ch Chimay and Duval and yep. um, those beers that were in that cork bottle. It was such a unique, cool experience. And there were some, you know, Allagash and Amagang, 
um, some American brewers, but we thought that was a nice way to differentiate. And it worked really well for us for a while. Certainly with bottle releases, it was an effective, uh, you know, package format, but, um, we, um, will brew upwards of, so we'll brew right at a little over 20,000 barrels this year in total beer, um, gingerbread stout and its variants make up about 2,500 to 3,000 barrels of okay. that. So pretty, pretty good, you know, sizable portion, 15% or so of our total production. Um, and about a quarter of that production will be Christmas morning. Oh, nice. Uh, so this okay. year we actually are releasing our main distribution um, offering is a, a variety pack. Ah, kind of okay. Ongoing demand. Okay. So Christmas morning is available as one of the four with the original gingerbread stout, the gingerbread porter, and fluffy GBS being kind of the wait a sec. You know, uh, toasted I, I, marshmallow. I, I don't see the Kentucky. Uh, I don't see the Kentucky uh, Christmas morning in there. <laughs> so, so Kentucky Christmas morning is still in stubby bottles this year. Okay. Um, so we we kind of evolved from uh, seven fifty mil cork bottles for our barrel aged beers right. to um, I guess we never did 500 mil bottles for, for barrel age stuff, but we, we, um, shifted right into stubby bottles, which is a, a package format that we've embraced for years and have had, you know, pretty good market success with, um, but we are now shifting everything toward cans. Right. So this course. year's yeah. Kentucky Christmas morning will be, it's only available in, um, in stubby bottles, four pack stubby bottles this year from the brewery and from. Uh, local retailers, um, and um, starting next year, it'll be in cans, in 12-ounce cans. Nice. Very nice. Nice. So how can the listeners, obviously, how can the listeners across the country get their hands on Christmas morning? I see the the four-pack mix, and if they really wanted to, how would they get their hands on Kentucky Christmas morning? Sure. So uh, we ship uh, within Virginia and D.C., so anyone um, in, in this region my recommendation would be that they check out the upcoming events that Hardywood has on the, on the weekends. Cause we got some really fun ones with great music and, you know, great opportunities to kind of celebrate the holiday season um, to co- kind of correspond with um, the, um, you know, picking up some of this beer from the brewery. We do still have some of the gift packs and um, we have been, every year selling a brewery only gingerbread stout complete set, which unlike the gift pack, I just showed you the complete set has all of the barrel age variants, including some that are only available in the the complete set. Okay. um, As including uh, Kentucky Christmas morning. Um, And that can be ordered on our website right now at hardywood.com and um, picked up at the brewery um, sometime before the end of January. Very nice. Um, and, um, and then, uh, retailers throughout, uh, North Carolina this year, uh, and, and Virginia have access to it and you can find which stores are carrying specific beers on our website at the beer finder on hardywood.com. And then we actually have some going, uh, limited distribution in Florida and California. Very nice. Um, okay. so total, total wines in California, um, are going to be carrying, um, kind of limited quantities of uh, the, the gift packs, which include Christmas morning. Um, and uh, hopefully that's something that will continue to expand in future years. But uh, we're excited to see the enthusiasm for these beers continue to grow in faraway markets and just love that it can contribute to the merriment of craft beer fans far and wide. And the merriment of the holidays, which kind of leads me into the last question, because uh, I wanted to know, like, have you actually ever opened a Christmas morning on Christmas morning. Like, I mean, I could totally see cracking one of these while the kids are opening presents and running around the house, creating chaos. Like, can you, can you attest it to, to drinking one of these on Christmas morning? Every, every year. And it's kind of become a tradition for a few of my, you know, former beer industry colleagues to send a picture of them enjoying a, a Christmas morning as well in in the richmond really virginia we've got a facebook group fans of virginia craft breweries and there are a lot of people that will post their either you know christmas morning or pre-christmas uh you know photos enjoying uh this beer there's the the founder of that group actually started a movement of mixing eggnog uh with the various gingerbread stout as kind of a 50 50 blend 
and it's not the prettiest in a right, glass. Right, I'm sure it's not because, it's, yeah, probably the separation. It's, it I'm sure it tastes good. delicious. <laughs> it does. And at 9.5%, you know, on a Christmas morning, that might be an, an appropriate blend. Um, Heck but, yeah. Um, we always, you know, I've got three kids, and we always set out gingerbread stout for Santa the night before, and he always <laughs> enjoys a couple before uh, of course. before they get up the next morning. Well, that's awesome, man. Well, thank you very much for your time. This has been a, a great conversation, and it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show, and uh, we thank you for your time. Likewise, yeah. Thank you so much. Hope you all have a wonderful holiday. And you too. Look forward to connecting soon. Absolutely. Have a good one. You're listening to The Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield. Conversations on the business of brewing and popular culture. We met our next guest last year on The Beer Hour. He is the head elf and founder of HireSanta.com, an online Christmas entertainer staffing agency. For nearly a decade, Mitch has been recruiting, training, and placing Santas for retailers, large and small, as well as organizations or individuals who want a real bearded trained Santa entertainer to spread a little Christmas magic. He's here to share some numbers from his own bookings to paint a picture of the retail shopping season that just kicked off. Welcome back to the Beer Hour, Mitch Allen. It is a pleasure to have you back on. Hope you have been well. Yeah, my pleasure. Glad to be back. It's uh, it's always uh, it's always a good time when we talk about Santa. You know, it's that time of year. <laughs> it definitely is. Uh, you know, it's always Christmas here at Hire Santa. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I remember we we talked about that last time. It's uh. It's pretty. It's pretty close to Christmas time there year round. <laughs> it really is, and uh, we, you know, having a Santa business means that uh, we're always thinking about Santa, either trying to get more or talking to our clients about about their events. So uh, yeah, it's a it's a full year it's a full year business. All right, so I guess we'll start with a a softball question here. Uh, actually, probably more like a snowball question. But uh, is Santa real? Yeah, so uh, it's a great question. Santa's <laughs> definitely real, of course. Uh, Absolutely. And we here at HireSanta.com, you know, we deal, we help uh, Santa's helpers or Santa's friends help spread some of that love and joy of Christmas when Santa himself can't uh, can't be around. He's a little too busy up at the North Pole knocking out all the toys to be delivered right. around the world. So, yeah, absolutely. Um uh, before we talk about your HireSanta.com economic indicators, let's remind our listeners of who you actually are. Yeah, so uh, I'm Mitch Allen. I'm the founder and head elf at uh, HireSanta.com. We staff Santa Claus entertainers around the world, uh, whether it be a home visit or all the way up to a mall type event where a Santa might be in, a, in the chair for three or 400 hours uh, from early November through December and really help anyone, uh, associate their brands with Christmas through holiday entertainers. We mainly is Santa, but also, uh, Mrs. Claus, elves, mascots, um, you know, you, you name it, we can, uh, produce it. And where does your reach, uh, spread out to as far as coverage goes for hire Santa? Yeah. You know, uh, primarily it's in the U S but, um, we're definitely international. We, uh, send Santas all over the world. Uh, you know, one of the most unique places that we send Santas and have been for a number of years is uh, Dubai. We actually Ooh. have a client called Ski Dubai. There's a ski slope yep. in the middle of the desert. I know it uh, is. I know yeah, it very well. Yep. Yeah. 26 degrees uh, inside, and they have a grotto uh, and uh, sort of a Santa's workshop inside of the uh, ski slopes. And we send a couple of Santas over there every single year. And uh, they meet and greet uh, uh, children from and families from all over the world. That's amazing. That is awesome to go all the way to Dubai to do that. That, that would be amazing. So yeah, it's, it's interesting that people want uh, the American version of Santa. When people think of Santa Claus, uh, they really think of sort of the Coca Cola version of Santa or the American yep. version of uh, Santa Claus. And so we end up uh, sending Santa Clauses. Uh, we've done it to the uh, China, the Caribbean. Uh, of course, Canada, Mexico, right. um, and, and the Middle East. So we send Santas all over the world. That's awesome. So actually, way back when, a friend of yours asked you to dress up, play Santa for his kids at a party. Let's remind everybody, can you describe that first experience that spawned the idea for HireSanta.com? Yeah, sure. You know, I'm a lifelong entrepreneur, and my executive assistant asked me to dress up like Santa. And obviously, if you're people who are looking at it, I don't look like Santa, obviously. <laughs> right. And uh 
But uh, I looked terrible at the time, but I then went and appeared as Santa for uh, my children uh, who were young at the time, as well as uh, some friends' children. And uh, it was it's just uh, infectious and uh, addictive, the the love and joy that you're trying to, to give to these children, and they're reflecting it back and magnifying it, uh, the love and joy of faith at Christmas. Uh, so I quickly became sort of all in uh, and think Tim Allen, glue on beard, and became uh, had more business <laughs> right. than I could do with myself. And, uh, you know, I've been on national TV commercials, um, some of the biggest parades in the world. And actually tomorrow, uh, not tomorrow, um, first uh, Saturday in December, I'll be the Santa at the Dallas Holiday Parade, uh, which is one of the biggest uh, holiday parades. Uh, and that's really one of the only events I still do as Santa. I'm just too busy with the the business of, of staffing Santas to actually do much Santa anymore. Oh, oh. So... As as we had talked about previously, and we'll just kind of reminding people here. So, real bearded trained Santa entertainers that someone can book very easily. That's who you guys represent, and that's what really sets HireSanta.com apart. Correct? Yes, no, it's it's great. So, um, good memory. The uh, we like to say our Santas have a real beard, real belly, and a real jolly. Uh, so, our Santa Claus entertainers really do personify uh, Santa Claus. So somewhere along the lines, you came to realize that since you deal with many retailers from big department store chains to mom and pops, that you might actually have some special insight into how retailers are forecasting holiday spending. I think, I think you decided to use your own year-over-year numbers as well as industry numbers but like, who keeps track of the Santa Entertainer business nationally? I mean, like, is there an industrial group, like an industry group? It's only us. It's yeah. only us. So we're it's a small uh, a small community, um, and so yeah, you know, for a number of years we've been um, just internally thinking about like how does the um, how does the demand for Santa Claus entertainers uh, from when they're being booked as well as who is booking uh, Santa Claus? Uh, how do we, how is that uh, going to relate to holiday sales. And uh, this year, uh, it's been remarkable in terms of the people booking Santa Claus earlier than ever before, like making a decision, doing the planning, uh, seeing that they're going to have a, a big year, wanting to drive traffic to the loco- location and associate themselves with Christmas. We've seen huge demand that way, as well as then just people interested, like many people who reach out to us. Um, and that the number of people who want to, who are interested in booking uh, that's up 36% this year, year over year, um, by far a record uh, that we've ever had it here at Hire Santa. And then the number of people who book, uh, that's up over 152% a year over year. Uh, so this year is just going to be a record year for us. And that's translating our, that we're seeing is that retailers are expecting a very big uh, n- amount of traffic, as well as they're, they've got money to spend on their marketing. So, as as we're digging into the numbers here, let's kind of talk about overall demand for this holiday season. Has obviously pandemic obviously threw a wrench in a lot of things, right? And yeah. do these numbers kind of match up pre-pandemic or is this even over pre-pandemic numbers, would you say? It's a really great question. And uh, the numbers are up um, way more than uh, the pre-pandemic 2019 season. Uh, last year was um, a record year for Hire Santa, and this year is even higher than that. So we're up, say we're up 36% this year over last year in terms of people reaching out to us. Uh, that's up well over 200% Ooh. from say, 2019. So uh, it's just incredible growth over the last few years. Um, but this year over last year, we were not expecting it. We were really expecting like last year was coming out of the pandemic. We thought everybody's getting back to normal. Um, and it's going to be, this year is likely to be fairly flat uh, coming right. out of the, you know, really coming out of the pandemic. But now um, there's no thought of COVID or the flu. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's to, to normal. And it's, um, you know, last year people waited to the last minute to book because they're not sure there's some uncertainty. You know, this year people were booking in February, March, wow. April, May, June, early in the year to make sure that they have a quality Santa entertainer. Wow. Do you think, I mean, do you think that there's a correlation with people wanting to get back to that more festive, more like holiday spirit type deal? And that's why we're seeing this, these numbers spike? Yes. 
Yeah, I think that it is back to tradition. Uh, we've seen, um, you know, you see on uh, other outlets about the amount of holiday decorations um, that are up. People are decorating more than they've ever done before, um, having gatherings. Um, and I think that it is, um, you know, we lost, uh, you know, even me, I'm like this several years within the pandemic. And yep. it's um, yep. hard to remember, like how many, how long ago it was pre-pandemic. Yep. Uh, and we lost a lot of time and people are trying to make up for that. Uh, they're trying to have events, uh, get together with family and friends uh, more than ever. Uh, we see a lot of customer appreciation events where they'll bring in Santa um, and just have people come in and be part of their own community, whether it be a realtor, whether it be a toy store uh, or a big box retailer. Wow. Wow. I mean, that's that's awesome. I mean, I have to say, uh, <laughs> I think this is the earliest that decorations have ever gone up in my house. <laughs> I, mean, well, I, I got nothing against that. You know what I mean? But like even before Thanksgiving had hit, I think the, the tree was already stationed in there and the, and the Christmas lights and the nativity scene was already set up outside the house. But I'm like, man, isn't this early? But then thinking about it, man, it's like, you know, the past couple of years, it's been like, just kind of like an afterthought because everything else was just kind of so muddled up with everything else dealing with the pandemic. But like, I think you're right. It's kind of clearing that hurdle finally and people want to get back to normal. Yeah, I think you're totally right. And don't tell anyone, but uh, we at the Allen household have had our Christmas tree up before Halloween before. Well, that's what I was going to ask. I was going <laughs> to ask. I mean, uh, when are you putting yours up? So there we go. Before I, Halloween. All right. I got well, it. it that, not this year. We we uh, we got busted one year uh, when the in-laws came over uh, 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 and surprised us. Uh, and our Christmas tree was already up. So now we wait till after <laughs> Halloween. It's early November. Um, uh, so uh, is when, when the Christmas tree goes up. I hear you. I hear you. So actually last year, you know, when we spoke, one of your challenges was finding enough Santa Claus entertainers to meet demand. I mean... But now that you're talking about this spike in demand, which is a great thing, how are you meeting that? Like, how are you able to find these entertainers to meet that demand? This is the number one business issue that we have here at HireSanta.com is finding enough supply. Right. Uh, we have tremendous demand. Uh, my background's in internet marketing, and we really are able to generate um up to this point anyway, uh, more demand than we have supply. But we've added over 1,100 uh, professional Santa Claus entertainers to our database in 2023 Wow! Uh, alone, which you would think would be enough, um, but uh, it's not. We're, we've been sold out on weekends for at least a couple of weeks, and we're pretty much sold out across the country. We still have select markets um, and weekdays. Uh, we have quite a bit of availability, but weekends, we're, we're sold out. And because everybody wants Santa to come on a Saturday and or a Sunday. Okay. And uh, those dates just fill up uh, extremely quickly. Uh, we are introducing some technology next year um, to help us better manage schedules. Um, we didn't quite get it rolled out this year. Uh, we've been working. We worked on it all year, but just didn't quite get it ready to go in time. And I think next year, if we continue to add Santa's at the same clip that we've done this year, as well as um, add some automation uh, and technology to our scheduling system. I think that you know we'll be able to at least uh, at least do better than we did this year. Nice, nice. I mean, and re really quickly, I'm sure a lot of our listeners. Obviously, right now, I mean, I've shaved my beard and growing a mustache for Movember, uh, a great cause. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure a lot of people out there have beards like me. Like, what's the elevator pitch to someone who might be interested in becoming a Santa? For next year, what experience do they need, and and what's the investment? Yeah, so uh, well, first you got to be real beard, real belly, real jolly. So, uh, <laughs> okay. uh, and uh, more importantly, that you got to have the the twinkle in your eye and the the love and joy of Christmas. Um, most of our Santa Claus are really pretty active in the Santa Claus community, right? Um, and so there's a variety of schools or right. regional associations. And so getting involved in that is probably the best way to do it, where you're going and you're talking to other Santas, you're getting some training on what to do, how to look. Right. Um, you can you can get away for $1,000. Um, you can get a good quality off-the-rack suit, um, boot, boots and belt, um, and uh, look presentable. Um, and if you go to some training classes or, you know, we have a, a closed Facebook group that just has uh, Santa Claus entertainers in it, um, and then we promote some schools. You go to those things and sort of plug into the community. You'll be ready by next year. Um, 
and it, your beard doesn't have to be white. Uh, you, uh, most of our Santas actually bleach their beards, and so they take a beard that can be as you know as black as can be, and will turn it into uh, you know a snow white beard uh, in just a couple of weeks. Nice. No, uh, nobody from Philadelphia qualifies for for a higher Santa, especially when they're based out of Texas. Sure, sure they do. There's Santas in Philly. Yeah, we got some great Santas yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah. They always hang out at the Eagles games too. Right, right. They have switchblades in their boots. So, how many Santas does HireSanta.com have on its roster this year? I don't know the exact number. We have thousands and thousands of Santas, as you imagine. We we added over 1,100 Santas uh, this year alone. That's crazy. Um, and, and then we're connected to, uh, because we're plugged into the community, we're also connected to many, many more Santas through Facebook and other um, Santa groups. Uh, so it's hard to actually sort of nail that number down. But uh, we have the largest database of Santa Claus entertainers that I'm aware of. And we're always, literally, we're that's what we do the rest of the year, is we're scouring social media. We're reaching out to people, going to these conventions, uh, we teach at the uh, schools. I forgot um, about the conventions. I forgot and, uh, about the conventions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, you know, the um, this last year we uh, I taught at one, and um, and we were a sponsor there, uh, and there were over six hundred Santas. The one that they're uh, that uh, the big one this next year, uh, they're anticipating uh, I think close to eight hundred professional Santas uh, to come to it. So huh. yeah, it's a it's a it's a vibrant community, and Santas love to get together and. Uh, tell stories and uh, eat cookies. That's amazing. Do they drink? Do they drink beer, Mitch? Are they big beer drinkers? The Santas? <laughs> not, not while in character. Well, but, no, but uh, I mean uh, when they're hanging out at a convention, <laughs> I'd imagine they throw. A yeah, beer, yeah. Right? I've seen, I've seen a few imbibe in, uh, yeah. in some of the get some cr- Christmas so. ale. Yeah, that's what we exactly, need to get them some yeah. Christmas ale. <laughs> yep. So we'll, you know, in some in some countries, uh, they don't leave out milk and cookies. They leave leave out uh, like bourbon or. Uh, oh, some other, really? some other, oh, nice. really? nice. I didn't yeah, know that so. That's, that's where I need to go Very be cool. Santa. Yeah. There, yeah. That one. <laughs> so I, I don't know, maybe it's because I, you know, I got three teenagers now, but like it, it seems, or maybe also I don't go to the mall that often, but it doesn't seem like the mall Santa. I mean, when I was growing up, mall Santa was like the it thing. Like you had to go there every year to get your picture done with Santa in the mall, but like, doesn't seem as it's as popular as in the past. W- what does your research show? Yeah. So, uh, uh, Malls in general have been on a decline. They've yes. actually stabled yeah. out this year. Right. Uh, if you look at the number of openings and closings, uh, it's actually positive. And, and there's more malls opening than closing this year for the first time in like uh, probably a decade or more. I don't know wow. how long, but it's been a long wow. time. Um, the number of mall Santas has also gone down, traditional malls. Right. But there's still many malls still have Santa come in. It's a great uh, draw. It draw, draws traffic in. Uh, to get uh, people into the mall. Uh, malls generally treat that Santa, you know, as it's space. They're renting that space out right. to a photography company. Photography companies are hiring Santa to come in and be that. Um, and and so uh, that still goes on. But what's happened over the last probably 15 years is there's been a movement um, to have Santa at other locations, whether that big big box retailers or uh, outdoor um, events. Uh, uh, outdoor uh, uh, stores, uh, Santa's uh, at many more locations. Wow. And so people are using Santa more in different ways. So the mall is not the only place that you can go see Santa. Whereas right. 20 years ago, right. you want to see Santa, you got to go to the mall. Right. That, now, that was me. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Now you go to uh, a big box store or you go to uh, you know, your realtors advertising it or right. a, a small community has a, a tree lighting in Santa. So there's just more Santa. There's more use of Santa's uh, outside of the mall than there used to be. Nice. Nice. Are, are, yeah. are virtual visits still popular? You know, that's a really great question. Um, uh, during 2020, we did tens of thousands of oh, virtual, virtual visits. Right. So just, you know, as like a zoom, we had our own platform. Also some of our big partners, we also used, um, uh, their platforms and we staffed uh, just huge numbers in 2020. 21 was down 85% from that. Oof. So a huge spike in 20, I went down 85% in uh, 21. It went down another 85% wow. in uh, 2022. Wow. So this year we're not actually doing our own platform um, or staffing anyone else's for virtual visits. Right. Uh, what we are doing is uh, and continuing to do is pre-recorded messages. So you can give us your information about your children. 
Um, and then Santa will uh, record a personalized message for you. Oh, wow. Um, and, and so that's still that's still going strong. But the virtual visits right. um, died out, you know, went up drastically in 20. And then it's back down to about 2019 levels, right. um, uh, which was it, it's still around, just not not in vogue in the way it was uh, that hear, year. I hear you. What should be the takeaway from your data about the holiday retail season that just kicked off for, you know, that you think yeah. that our business radio listeners should, should hear. Yeah. yeah. So I think as a small business, like, uh, uh, people are, uh, still have money from whether it be the government or, uh, surpluses, even though credit card numbers are, uh, on the rise, uh, that they should be getting ready for a big holiday season and really be out there promoting what they're doing uh, on social media and talking about, um, uh, the events as well as specials that they're having and really take advantage of the fact there are going to be a lot of people out and about um, uh, in the next, uh, whatever, 25 days or so. And so really be out there promoting your business. Uh, you know, the, the whole advertise the whole uh, story uh, goes way back is that uh, somebody didn't think advertising was working. So they cut it in half and well, their business went down and they thought they were right. So they cut it back down again and kept on going down. Well, now's the time, I think, to be really uh, uh, pouring it on and uh, promoting your business, uh, talking to your past customers, and uh, driving business in. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. So last question for you. I mean, you've been doing this for over a decade. What is that enduring quality about a little kid meeting Santa? And what is that magic that transcends everything even, you know, socioeconomic statuses, geography, anything like that. What what do you think that is? Yeah, so being Santa and being in this business, it's it's just a, such a joy to be part of the tradition and part of Christmas uh, and people's families Christmas. Um, people love the joy and the hope and the love of Christmas. And Santa embodies that. Yeah. Um, and I think it's it's such an honor for our Santa Claus entertainers uh, to be part of the tradition of, of families. You know, you uh, Santa goes back to the same family four, five, six, seven years, and you see the the, the children growing up. Uh, these families have invited Santa Claus into their uh, into their not only their homes but into their traditions and into these pictures that are going to last a lifetime. And it's such an honor. And so uh, I think that Chris uh, that Christmas. And uh, Santa really does uh, uh, just embody that love and joy of Christmas. And uh, it's a great honor to be part of that. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. It's uh, always great to have you on. And thank you very much for agreeing to come back on the show. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Yeah, my pleasure. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Have a good one. That's it for this week. I'd like to thank our guests, Eric McKay and Mitch Allen, our co-host, Maria Cabre, and our producer, Rocco Riggio. And, of course, our editor, Brian O'Connell. Thanks for starting your weekend with us. You can catch us each Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Business Radio 132 or anytime on the SiriusXM app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate the show and leave a review. Remember, people, the thirst is real.